Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Pastor Joel is continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. He's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24 with the message, One Battle. We, this morning, are going to finish our study in Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for the last uh, seven weeks. Uh, we finish today. We'll have a couple um, kind of standalone sermons before we hit a couple weeks of uh, Ecclesiastes. We'll be looking uh, for seeking joy and not find it in the places we won't find it in the book of Ecclesiastes until we get to the book of Philippians where we'll find our joy uh, in Christ. And that'll take us up to Christmas uh, time. And then we'll have a special Advent uh, season this Christmas. Uh, but today, Ephesians uh, 6, I'd like to read just a couple of verses uh, as a way of introduction as we begin the sermon this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, please stand. We'll read uh, Ephesians 6. You can follow along as I read verses 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle or battle or fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't, we don't fight, we don't wrestle against another human. We wrestle against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This might be a very odd sermon for some people. And I'll just say that right up front. It, it might be what is going on here. Uh, for others of you, you might hear it and go, it's actually validating to me because I experienced something and I don't have the categories for how to even process it. And, and yet for other people, this will be like, this makes sense. I, I, I get it. No matter how you come here, what your experiences, what your frameworks are in the past, my, my prayer for you this morning is that your eyes would be open. That your eyes would be open to see an unseen realm where there's a battle taking place. I think in order to do that, let's stop again and pray. Lord, we've gathered here as your people, longing to hear your words. Lord, words of life and encouragement and love and forgiveness and direction and comfort and challenge. And Lord, you promise that your, your word will not return void. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning. That we would see something going on in our world that's way bigger than the person that's standing in front of us. Lord, that you would equip us in this battle as your people, people who find our identity and our might and our strength in you. Would you equip us as warriors for the good? 
And Lord, that you would uh, open our ears, that we could hear and soften our hearts, that we would understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. You know, as a, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, our fight is never against another human. Our fight's never against another human, but it's against all these things listed in Ephesians, against these uh, spiritual forces of, of evil. There's this battle that's raging for your soul in an unseen realm. There's a, there's a battle raging for your soul in an unseen realm. Now, we don't often see it. My first experience, actually, was when I was a freshman in uh, high school. Uh, we had these week-long revival meetings uh, down in Georgia, and so we had a speaker that came and talked to all the youth about uh, being very careful when you're opening your, your heart or your mind up to these spiritual forces, and that you should be very careful with it and get rid of the things that are, that are speaking into that. And so there was this one girl that went home. I remember uh, she was a, a freshman just like me, went home and was going to burn her Ouija board. Uh, so I don't know if you remember that or if you've ever seen that. Like She's going to go home, went to her shed to burn her Ouija board. She goes in her shed, uh, and before she could light it, she hears this like really weird screech, and then the whole shed bursts into flames, causing her body to be burnt by 50% of her body to be burnt in the hospital. Strange, right? I mean, at least strange. Like, what, what's, going, what's going on there? And... and of course, there's probably some people here, and just like me, that, they just rationalize it and go, yeah, there was probably some gas leak, or maybe the, the, the lid wasn't turned on tight, and maybe some spark. We, we, try, to, we try to rationalize those things uh, to make sense, logical sense in our world. And, and I could do that for a while well, until we went over to Eastern Europe. And then in Eastern Europe, I heard and uh, experienced some things that I... How do you, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to process, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that Ephesians this morning will, will help us all as we process some of these things. Uh, there was an English camp we went to that there was a, a girl who uh, was, from all intents and purposes, demon-possessed. She was speaking about how uh, Jesus was in her and that there were other 12 other spirits, but they weren't, it was not Jesus. It was something else. We, we heard stories uh, in Eastern Europe of, of students all, like all over who would see these burning eyes in the middle of the day, and they said these were Jesus's eyes. Uh, we had nightmares and dreams that like almost passed into the nightmare phase into like reality. It's all strange stuff. Now, now when you're, you're all sitting there staring at me, how do you process stuff like that? I mean, how do you, how do you think through that? I, I have a couple of my own stories uh, that I could share with you, but I'll save it for a, a different time. But, but what goes through your brain when you hear those things? I think for me, it's, I tend to rationalize. We're trying to look for some good explanation in this physical world, logical, rational world of why that would make sense. But there is a theme through the whole of Scripture that there is a spiritual battle going on. And this morning, before we even get to Ephesians, I, I want to pull back the curtains on one of those uh, examples. Uh, I want to pull back the curtains of this unseen realm, uh, a couple pictures that we get uh, in the Bible. And I, I really just want to give you one, and I'll re reference a couple others as well. Uh, it's in, from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. It's a, it's a little bit of a crazy uh, book itself. E Ezekiel was supposed to be a priest in 
Jerusalem, but he gets dragged off to the Babylonian captivity and he's in exile. He's sitting in captivity and God uses him there as like a prophet to the people to call them to repentance. So he's sitting in Babylon, which is about 900, 1,000 miles away. And then we get to this story of Ezekiel 8 and 9. Go back and read it later, especially if you like Lord of the Rings stuff. It's kind of crazy. But let me just read the first bit of it. Ezekiel 8, chapter 8 and verse 1. So this is Ezekiel talking. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there, and I looked, and behold, a form that had, like a, it looked like a guy. It had the appearance of a man. Well, below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness like gleaming metal. He, he put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head and the Spirit lifted me up between heaven or earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. Have any of you heard a sermon on this before? It's in the Bible. <laughs> so, so there's, so there's uh, Ezekiel sitting in Babylon and all of a sudden, he's with, these, he's with these other people, but he's experiencing something and seeing something way different. This, all he's like, what looked like a man and kind of like a form of a hand. He takes him by a lock and he brings him all the way to Jerusalem. In between earth and heaven. In this middle realm. Now, I don't know how, I, I don't even know how to explain that because I'm not exactly sure what that is. But the closest picture I have is in Lord of the Rings with, with Frodo. Remember when he puts on the ring? And he like goes to this like other dimension. If you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. Because I don't even know if that's really what it is. But that's kind of the in-between thing. And as he gets from a lock of his head, this is crazy stuff, a lock of his head to Jerusalem, he has this tour guide that takes him all around the temple in Jerusalem, in between earth and in heaven. And there he's showing him the idolatry and rebellion and wickedness in the temple itself. People with their backs turned to uh, the altar, to the Holy of Holy, and worshiping other gods. They go into these little uh, like dark places where the e Egyptian gods are being worshipped. In the, in the temple itself, the whole thing is like in between heaven and earth, you, you look at the spiritual realm, this unseen realm of the temple, and it's just ugly and dirty and rebellious. And so... That guy who has led Ezekiel on this little tour then, then shouts in his, his ear, said, let the executioners come forth. And then they come, six of them, and it says, each with destroying weapon in hand. Now, I don't know what vision you have in that, but that's kind, kind of freaky to think about. So Ezekiel's there, he sees these six executioners with destroying weapons in hand, ready to execute on the judgment of God for the rebellion of the people in his temple themselves, and they don't even know it. And then there's a seventh guy, and he has like, he's clothed in linen, and he has like this fanny pack, because they were the thing back then, and it has like a writing utensil in it, and that, that guy with the linen goes around and he marks on uh, the head of everyone who is, it says, who is weeping and wailing for the destruction of the temple. So this guy goes around and marks all of those people. Everyone who receives the mark then is not killed. But everyone else who sits in rebellion against God, 
is, is killed by these executioners. Now you're like, okay, did that really happen? Like if I read, like where in history did that happen? And, and if you read in history, what is actually happening at that exact moment is that the Babylonians have come and they've laid siege to uh, Jerusalem and the temple and they've finally breached and they're going in and they're destroying everything in the temple. So what looks on the outside is like, oh, no, this is just a, a battle of Babylon versus uh, Israel. Actually, when you peel back the curtain, you go, no, 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 this is a spiritual battle that's going on here. So that the people that are actually survived that uh, Babylonian army are actually, uh, Ezekiel gets a backhand stage to go, these are actually people who had repented, who were sorrowful over the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. Wow. Uh, this unseen realm, then, in these passages, intersects our physical world. What we see on the outside is, is one thing, but what is actually going on in this unseen realm, the spiritual forces, is a whole nother thing. And shows us, this is just one glimpse, there's, there's several others in the Bible, that there's a battle raging for your soul in an unseen realm. Uh, we can actually see uh, this theme in uh, Genesis, in Daniel, in Psalms, in Isaiah, in the Gospels, in the book of Revelation. Paul often talks about this. This is a theme through the whole Bible. And yet, uh, for us, uh, I'm going to just say, it, it, it seems a little fanatical. It seems a little unbelievable. Uh, I mean, haven't we progressed way beyond that? Uh, we want to uh, rationalize. And maybe you've never seen, I've never seen anyone demon-possessed before, only in the movies, and that's kind of crazy. So I, I want to un unveil the uh, curtain a little bit in the Pacific Northwest here, and I want to show you there's a, there's a unique weapon that's happening uh, here in these uh, spiritual forces of, of evil here in the Northwest. Uh, it's way different than, I would say, in Slovenia. Uh, the battle for your soul here uses weapons like these, like safety, like comfort, like prosperity, uh, weapons that lull you into thinking that there is no battle. It's not a frontal assault. They're not screaming and charging at you. It's much more crafty, almost like a, a serpent whispering in your ears. Whispering words that seem really good, but they're like mixed with the poison of evil. And when you intake that, it causes confusion and discouragement, individualism. It gets you to the point where you actually lay your weapon down and leave the battlefield. I think that's the ploy of the enemy in the Pacific Northwest. There's no battle. Just put your weapon down. I think sometimes it feels more difficult to be a Christian here in, in Gresham, Oregon, in Clackamas, in Sandy, Oregon, than it was to be a missionary over in Slovenia. I think it's, it's much more difficult here because it's so much easier to just drop your weapon and not even realize you're in a battle. But Paul... As he comes to this letter, he wants you to know there is a battle raging for your soul in an unseen realm. And he wants to open your, your eyes. There's a battle raging for your soul in an unseen realm. And, and maybe, maybe this morning, we've taken a little bit more time 
getting into the intro of this message, but, but hopefully you're being a little curious or, or you're wondering, or maybe your eyes are opening a little bit and you're like, okay, if there isn't a battle for my soul in an unseen realm, how do I fight against it? I mean, I'm flesh and blood. How, how do we go out charging against the enemy? Well, that brings us back to the conclusion as Paul is going to uh, un, unpack this battle for us in the letter to the Ephesians. He began the letter by saying, hey, we are all one. There's this, there's this unity, this commonality of being in Christ that makes us strong together. And then he goes on to say, yeah, but we're, we're not the same. We all have different gifts and, and abilities. And so as we come together as one, we're very diverse. And that diversity is actually this beautiful kaleidoscope that displays the glory of God for everyone. And, and so how that works with very diverse people coming together in unity, boy, it's like this dance, right? And sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we, we get it wrong. Uh, but he wants to get their eyes open to say, and as you're learning to do this, you got to know there, there is, there is a, an evil forces and spiritual things that are trying to divide and destroy. He's speaking to uh, the Ephesians in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there is this huge temple to the goddess Artemis. Who, who is the goddess of fertility uh, and, and would worship things and, and would bring division and darkness in the land. And so he's like, that's there, but there's something going on in your world, in the unseen realm, that there's a battle for your soul. So Paul's last words to these uh, Ephesian believers is to stand and withstand. There's a battle going on. I want you to stand and withstand. So we're going to read the text, and then I want to just point out three ways that Paul gives us to engage in this battle so that we can stand and withstand or, or resist or push back against this darkness, to stand and withstand. That was actually the cry of several reformers uh, in the 1500s, to stand and withstand. Ephesians 6, let's read this passage. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
And then he ends the letter. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that you may encourage, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. There's a, there's a spiritual battle for your soul in an unseen realm, and Paul wants you to be able to stand and withstand in the day of trial. Three, three ways we can stand and withstand. Here's the first one. Take your stand in the Lord. Take your stand in the Lord. Now, it doesn't say in your might. You be strong enough. He, he says, uh, it, it's not you that you would find strength in the Lord. And it's actually not even your armor. And I, I don't know why, well, growing up, I always missed this. It's not your armor. It's the armor of the Lord. It's the Lord's armor. So, so take your stand by being found in the Lord, putting on his armor. And this reminded me of a story. Do you remember David? Uh, when he goes out to meet his brothers on the battlefield, and there's this huge guy of the Philistines that's there making fun of the Israelites, and David, like this little tiny shepherd guy, is like, no way, I'm going to kill him. He's making fun of my God, and no one else is doing anything. So he goes to Saul, and Saul's like, come here, little boy. And he says, here's, your, here's my armor to put on you. And remember what David does? Puts it on, and he's like, I can't wear it. It's too big. And so he leaves the, the armor back. Now, that's, that's Saul's armor, and it was too big for David. How big is God's armor? Wh which one of you is like, yep, put it on me. I'm ready to go. Like, it, it's, it's, it's huge. Paul identifies six pieces of, of armor. And these probably, you probably know very well from Sunday school. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, these shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the word of God. Uh, those six things. It's, very, it's actually a very interesting list of six things. And, and here's why I think it's, it's interesting. He, Paul chooses uh, items for this uh, armor of God that have already been spoken about in the Old Testament. Uh, these are all lists of armor uh, that are associated with the coming Messiah that's going to come and defeat evil and bring about the salvation of mankind. So I just want to give you just a glimpse of a couple of these. You might want to write uh, some more of these, these down. They all come from the book of Isaiah. Um, but if you want to go back and further uh, research, if this is opening your eyes to some of those other things, uh, I say go for it. Uh, explore all you, all you want. Uh, the armor of God is actually spoken of in the Old Testament as the coming Messiah, the one that's going to uh, free humanity, who's going to restore the relationship between God uh, and his people. Uh, first one is in Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, and verse 1 says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse was David's uh, father, uh, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It, so basically it's setting up, there's a new David that's going to come, and this new David is going to bring about uh, salvation, and this is the way it's described in verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. 
there's something strapped around them that's like righteousness and, and truth uh, around him. And then we go on. If you look in uh, Isaiah 49, you'll see the sword of the Spirit, which he's actually speaking. This Messiah is speaking. And then in chapter 52... Uh, you'll see the shoes that he puts on that goes forth, that gives the good news. He's proclaiming the good news to everyone. And then Isaiah 59, and this is, uh, this is one I want to point out a little bit more. Isaiah 59, verse 16. Um, he's chosen Israel as his special people to be among them. Like there would be, uh, there would be just this reflection of who it is that God is in compassion and justice and mercy and love and truth. And he looks down at Israel and goes, you've really messed up. <laughs> You're not at all like I wanted it to be. I look around and everyone is corrupt in their own eyes. So he says this, Isaiah 59 and verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to inter intercede. Then his own arm, the Lord's own arm, brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Uh, Paul is steeped in the Old Testament. I mean, he's referred to it all throughout, and, and it's not going to stop here. I, I believe he's referring to all of these things going, this armor of the Lord we've already seen. It's this coming Messiah that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have now seen it fulfilled. So that taking up the armor of God does not mean, uh, go get him, hopefully you'll be good luck. It's taking on the identity and the position of the Messiah who has come and already gained us victory. Amen? So taking up the armor of God is finding yourself in this Messiah. You're finding yourself in his protection and his strength. It's the cry of Psalm 35. Psalm 35 says this in verse 1. Uh, it's of David. And David says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. To take up the armor of God is to find yourself in the Messiah. In the Messiah who, who hides your shame with his truth. Who, who protects your heart with his righteousness. Who allows you to step into peace with both God and your fellow man. Who protects your life over and over as he gives you hope who protects your thoughts with his salvation and uses his word with might to move and bring victory. His victory then is your victory. To take up the armor of God is to find yourself in the Messiah. Here's the second point. To take your stand. To take your stand in the Lord, and then he adds on, to take your stand in the Lord together. Together with all the saints uh, in English, it's hard to see here, but all the verbs in here are all plural. He's not speaking to an individual person. He's speaking to this group, or could you say uh, a body of believers, this body that's made up of several different uh, parts. He says, I want you all 
to take up the whole armor that you all may be able to stand. He's not thinking of just one individual here, although each individual needs to do this. He's speaking in terms of community. Christ's body taking up Christ's armor. So in this battle in the unseen realm, if you find yourself all alone, you're probably going to be picked off. You need that person who's standing right next to you. You know, there's, uh, I'm sure you've all seen it uh, in a movies or pictures or something. The Roman army, when they would get together, they would link arm, like shields with the person next to them. They actually had a little slot on the right where there was a little hole that they could put a sword through. But you need somebody right next to you. They would have shields all over the place. And that's the picture I think Paul is. You all, together, you need each other. Praying and making requests for all the saints. Realizing we're all in this battle together. You see, he wants to expose the enemy's tactics to to divide, to to speak bad. I'm sure he loves it when when churches uh, split apart or when one church speaks bad about uh, another church uh, or, or, or when he is getting into a marriage and trying to split that marriage. The enemy loves it. He loves breaking friends apart, churches apart, neighborhoods apart. It's the the tactic in the battle of our enemy. But we, Paul says, are more than conquerors. He's given us people to stand next to you. But but we need to take advantage of that. Uh, These intentional uh, connections, to stand next to somebody, to have an intentional connection to go hey, we know there's something way bigger going on in Oregon than just a failed political system. There is a spiritual battle here. There's a battle raging for your soul and the soul of everyone out there. We need to stand next to each other. We need to have these intentional connections. I think that's why it's so important uh, that that you don't just come here on Sunday and then just leave. I think it's important that you have uh, these smaller groups, these Bible studies. There's rooted connections on Sunday morning. There's going to be women's and men's Bible studies uh, starting up. And in Philippians, as we go through Philippians in October and November, we're going to have uh, some curriculum available, just a small group Bible study. And, and we're going to have it make it available for everyone. It's just going to be eight weeks. And during those eight weeks, we're going to encourage everyone, take this book and, and, and find some intentional connection with somebody. Whether even it's just your spouse or your neighbor or a small group of people that gets together for eight weeks and and talk about the word of God, encourage and challenge each other, stand shoulder to shoulder next to each other. Because if we're going to withstand and withstand in this spiritual battle, we need to take our stand in the Lord together. Here's the last point. Take your stand in the Lord together, keeping alert, having your eyes open to the real battle. Paul tells us, keep alert. Open your eyes. You know, we look around and we're like, oh, I see the battle here in Oregon, right? It's the politicians and leaders. It's the, all this horrible stuff that's going on. That's our real battle. And so we pick up sword to fight them. We start fighting other, other people. But Paul says our, our fight isn't against another human. It's not against flesh and blood. It's actually against the spiritual forces of evil. And all the people around them, they need to be rescued. They have been 
uh, made slaves to the kingdom of darkness. And we need to be the light that rescues them out of the darkness, tells them, hey, there's a much better way. You don't realize what's happening to your soul through this. And the challenge for each of us to keep alert and keep our eyes open uh, is to not get lured into the, the comfort or the safety or the prosperity. Uh, he likes to whisper in your ears, well, that's not safe. Don't do it. And so we say, oh, it's not safe. I don't think I'll do it. Well, that's going to be really uncomfortable. If you go there, I don't know if you'll really enjoy it. So don't do that. What if you're exposed in a small group? Don't, don't do that. Stay, stay separated. And he whispers all of these lies and ultimately wants to get us to the point where we just drop our sword He just numbs us to this world and we just pass through rather than putting on the full armor of God. Now, wouldn't it be, it would be kind of freaky, but if we saw this like vision of this what looked like a dude with half fire, half gleaming metal who took each one of you and took you by the little patch of your your head. So for those of you who are bald, see, it's a great thing to be bald. Uh, and put you to this like in between earth and heaven and showed you, like unveiled the curtains to this unseen realm, what would we hear and what would we see in our world? Can you you imagine that? Well, I think think if he did, I think if we were able to even see that, it it might be like what uh, C.S. Lewis imagined in his book Screwtape Letters. Uh, Screwtape Letters is a story of uh, this spiritual force of evil uh, writing to this smaller force of evil, and they're plotting and they're scheming how they're going to work in the world. Uh, It's kind of the same idea as Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness, or or Randy Alcorn's Lord Falcon's Letters. It's it's trying to peel back this uh, physical to see the spiritual realm. And and here's here's just a a piece of the Screwtape Letters. This is Senior Devil... Screw tape to Junior Devil Wormwood. And this is what he writes. This is what he imagines is happening in this, this spiritual world. He says, The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather. One, one demon to another. You, you see, it's so hard for these creatures to persevere. The routine of Adversity, the gradual decay of youthful loves and youthful hopes, the quiet despair. I mean, it's hardly even felt as pain of ever overcoming the chronic temptations with which we have again and again defeated them. The drabness which we create in their lives and the inarticulate resentment with which we teach them to respond to it. All this provides admirable opportunities of wearing out a soul by attrition. Well, let's just push them so much that they end up just going, I give up. If, on the other hand, the middle years prove prosperous, our position is even stronger. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of opportunity, the growing pressure of absorbing and agreeable work build up in him a sense of being really at home on earth, which is just what we want. 
you will notice that the young are generally less unwilling to die than the middle-aged and the old. This is from the Screwtape Letters, page 132. There is a spiritual battle for your soul in the unseen realm. We don't always have eyes to see it, uh, but Paul wants to give us a way to stand and withstand, to lean into the darkness. He, he wants to tell these believers in Ephesus, who, with the tower of the temple of Artemis right there, with the evil darkness clouding over them, he says, don't give up, don't give in, don't get comfortable, don't play it safe, stand and withstand. Stand and withstand. Pick up the word of God as if it's your only weapon in this spiritual battle. And how often do we have our weapon and we put it aside for a whole week until we get back again? And, and basically we're saying, I don't think there's really a battle going on. We, we, we treat it as if it's something on the aside because really here we find safety and comfort and prosperity. But Paul's like, there's a battle raging for your soul. What are we going to do about it, church? Are we going to find ourselves in Christ together? Are we going to keep our eyes alert and open? This battle is not against flesh and blood, but against uh, these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, in this darkness. The, the person you are fighting against is not the person whose eyes you are looking at. They actually need to be rescued from being a captive of the army of darkness. They need to be rescued and saved. And we, as the people of God in the Pacific Northwest here, I think we need to once again put on the armor of God together to be unified in diversity and to realize there's a real spiritual battle happening here. And we need to pray. We need to pray for each other. We need to make it a priority to to engage in that battle so we can stand and withstand together. Amen? Amen? Let's do it. Let me pray. Lord, it's, I just admit, it's super easy um, to preach this here, gathered with other believers who want the same end. No matter where they are in the process of knowing you or following you, uh, there's something in all of us that, that wants that, that knows that, Lord. But it's the moment we step out of here. It's the moment that we are alone, that we even step into our, our homes, that the enemy whispers and divides and destroys and lulls us into this false sense of comfort and safety and prosperity. So Lord, I, I pray that even this week we would, we would take up your victory in the Messiah, that we would hold so close, close to, to what you have done in the truth and in your righteousness and in your salvation, that our identity, our whole identity would be found in you so that we could even go back to the beginning of Ephesians and know that we have been blessed in Christ, in Christ. So Lord, would you, would you allow us to find our identity in you, in the conquering Messiah who came as a victorious warrior and invited us uh, to be his body to take up the armor together, that we would be able to stand and withstand till the day you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.